two-man two-man tonight, Ben Gretsch with the much-deserved uh, uh, bye week here. But we got Pat. We got Pete. How are we doing, Pat? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I was in... Uh, in California last weekend with my buddies, so always a little slow recovering uh, after taking the red eye back, uh, getting in Monday morning at 5 a.m., but now I'm uh, feeling myself again. I know the feeling. I know yeah. the feeling. This one was actually, I feel like um, generally when I've done those red eyes, you know, from Vegas, and they'll normally be like a 10 or 11 p.m. flight, and you'll get in at like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. This one was an earlier red eye, so I got in at 5 a.m., and we even landed a little earlier. So I was actually able to sleep like five or six hours before even having to do stuff on yeah. uh, on Monday, which was a huge help. Yeah, I can't really sleep on planes, so that's actually kind of a genius move. You get in early enough where you can like go back to bed. That that was actually it was funny too that you say that because normally I can sleep on red eyes because uh, I'm just so exhausted. But um, you you know my buddy Cam, we had flown from Reno because we we're in Tahoe down to San Diego, um, and then I was doing the red eye from San Diego, and I was kind of like dozing off on that first flight because I was just so tired. And then that kind of reset me. So when yeah. I got on the actual red eye, I was more wide awake and I'm sitting here looking around at everyone sleeping. I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep right away. <laughs> I was so stubborn too, because I was like, I could put on media, you know, the TV or whatever. And I was like, no, cause I want to fall asleep. But the guy in front of me was watching hangover. And so I just watched his hangover on mute. <laughs> with no, even though I could have watched it on my TV, but I was just like, so I watched an hour of, of hangover with no audio. <laughs> so that's fine. I'm so much quicker to give up on, uh, on the planes. Cause I just kind of know I won't be able to sleep anyway, but yeah, yeah I would have, I would have had the hangover on after about minute four of watching his TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me say it. it really holds up with no audio all these years later. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, it, I will say, uh, watching Zach Galifianakis just because he is such, uh, you know, he, he acts with his body and gesticulates so much that he was, I was like legit laughing at a few moments, just not even knowing what was being said. Um, where did you, uh, what, what did you do for the game? So you just hole up, uh, in your apartment and watch them all this weekend. There's a bar, uh, that we went to, um, for the, the Saturday game. It's kind of pretty, pretty spaced out. So we went there and checked out the Bengals game. Um, and then there's this restaurant that we went we went to uh, this Korean place that used to be we really liked it. It was like a kind of a fast food, like it sort of pitched itself as fast food, but it was really, really good. But I think they like didn't really they weren't doing very well. And I think people were kind of like thinking it was just like kind of this like junky fast food type place. Yeah. So it closed. So we were, we were bummed. And since then, it's like clearly just reopened under like another name. So, we're like, so we went there to check out the new. It's actually better now that they, because now they're like trying to be a fancy restaurant. But it's like a, a well-priced fancy restaurant. So we went there and watched uh, part of the Bucks game. And then I just came back here and, and watched the, the Chiefs bills. There you go. Yeah. Jeremy, come on. Pete listens to Red Zone with no video and watches movies with no audio. This is, this. I did that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um yeah and i as i was i think i was mentioning it on splash play with spags but we because of just how to get our flight situated i legit um watched the first half of bill's chiefs at the reno airport and then i thought for sure i was done because we we're flying southwest uh during the second half 
And I was like, there's no chance like Southwest Wi-Fi is going to allow me to stream, blah, blah, blah. But they actually have like the live TV partnership or whatever and like was it a perfect hd stream no but was i able to watch that that game uh on a plane uh yes so that that felt like a miracle in its own right i was on the phone with my brother mike uh for probably the last five minutes of regulation into overtime and (laughs) because i'm streaming it he was ahead of me so he kept having to mute for like those play you know all the big plays down at the end he was muting himself as soon as like the ball was snapped on his end, because he kept reacting, <laughs> and at one point he actually unmuted and was like, "Oh man, that was big." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hey, kid. So, anyway, actually seeing it live on the plane was in some ways an advantage over my setup because I was I was on delay. Well, that actually sounds like our group chat with us, Leone and Gretch, where I, you could tell it's when we're tilting because we're reacting to stuff just with like words, not with any context, you know, it's just like emotional reactions. And then we're like, wait, (laughs) what happened? And then we all realize that we're actually all watching it at the same real time, but we're just so sensitive to like, what were you reacting to the drop or (laughs) reacting to him touching his helmet in the huddle? (laughs) (laughs) I did. I can't remember what it was now, but I did something uh, like, I just was like bashing on a player or something or like, or tilting the player wasn't involved. And then they, caught a ball and uh anyway leone thought i was ahead so like we had one of those moments where i was like (laughs) no i just happened to say this guy's name like seconds before something (laughs) yeah uh t's and p's for michael leone uh absolutely uh brutal loss i mean even going into that game just knowing that that should have been the afc championship game was just like should have been the super bowl really yeah the super bowl (laughs) i mean it uh it would have been, yeah, it's unfortunate. Like Bengals, I, I was obviously happy that the Bengals won because you knew yeah. that they would get in an up-tempo game with either of these guys, but um, it, it does feel like we were robbed of a even higher stakes game between these two teams. It does. It really does. I mean, that's just, I mean, I, I will say maybe it's out of order, but I'm glad that we're getting the Bengals facing the Chiefs, you know, or the, you know, Bengals bills have been great too, but um, that I think the Bengals can bring it. And I've been excited about the way the Bengals have approached the postseason. Uh, even with all the sack issues last week and, you know, Burrow took nine sacks. They still had a pretty strong pass rate over expected. Uh, they're kind of leaning into things. Uh, I was also doing some research for the walkthrough. I think some of their protection issues were like, it's just like one of those things where sometimes you're, you're going to have more struggles than you typically do. Um, and it, it seems like they, uh, I don't know, even though they have a pretty subpar offensive line, there's definitely like a, a possibility where Burroughs, uh, you know, protected a lot better than he was against Tennessee and were able to get a rematch of the Bengals Chiefs game, which would be a lot of fun. I know when I saw that line open up um, at seven, I was like, man, that seven feels like a lot for. Yeah a team that the Bengals literally beat just a few weeks ago. Obviously this one is in Kansas city, but still seven. Uh, and then I saw all the money uh, was mainly coming in on the Bengals too. So I was like, shit, is it, is this the square play too? betting the Bengals? But they feel as, uh, as Evan says here, extremely live in this spot. Yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do. Um, I mean, I, you know, the chiefs are, I've, they, I don't know. What would you have set the line at if you were, if you were a bookmaker, 
I mean, I know this sound now it's like, oh, you're only talking about like one and a half or two points, but it does feel more like a four and a half, five and a half kind of thing. I I, I agree. Yeah. I think like anywhere in that mid range, like, but I would have it below six. So to have it at seven is, I mean, that, that I agree. That's, that's a high line. Yeah. And also just thinking, I mean, Jimmy G like comparing, like, who do you feel better about getting points from? You know, it's like, I'd rather want the seven points if I was betting Jimmy G than, you know, uh, betting Burrow. Like, I feel a lot better hanging my hat on Joe Burrow getting in a shootout than I do. Because we still haven't seen the Jimmy G game. They've been fortunate to play all these games close and they're able to do what they want to do in those games. But we have not seen, have we seen them down 10 or 14 points in one of these games yet? No, I mean, I guess, you know, they've been down over the course of the season. Um, and done okay because they will the thing about the 49ers is that they i've accused them at times of not having a counter punch but they do have a counter punch it just opens them up to a devastating counter punch from the other side but they will counter punch and have jimmy actually drop back and pass if they have to but they try to avoid it as much as humanly possible because we've seen like even in the situations where jimmy's barely throwing like he's just dying to give these games away so I think like I actually wonder if they could beat the Rams because the the Rams have been uh, like they were slightly pass heavy against the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers are a major pass funnel and they've been shifting in a huge run heavy direction for weeks now. They didn't take advantage of the the Ravens pass funnel. I don't think McVay really trusts Stafford. We, obviously, San Francisco's pass rush is a major issue. So I think we could again for the third time. You could see the 49ers get into a run-first battle with the opposing team, which is exactly where they want to be. If we get Jimmy in the Super Bowl, I'd need like 10 points against the Chiefs. <laughs> and I don't know if I'd take it. Because you could just see them. The Chiefs, I think, in this condition, they they, they could hang like a 20-point a victory on the 49ers. They can't yeah. keep up. Well, and that's, that's what I think is so smart with their Debo Samuel usage, right? Where they, they truly have to get really creative on offense. And, you know, uh, the, in a, they did get those plays uh, against the Packers where, you know, George Kittle picks up those really big first downs. Um, but basically taking the ball out of Jimmy G's hands as much as they can. And it, I always think about it in counter to remember watching like Des Bryant back in the day, even when he was at his peak and he would just get erased for an entire game. Cause they just let him get ISOed out wide and they wouldn't force the ball to him or anything. And then you watch Debo and it's like, no, we are going to make sure this guy is yeah. touching the ball multiple times on every drive. We have to, it's the only way we can succeed. And that at least gives me some confidence in their offense. It gives me some confidence in their offense, but it's like the fact that they've taken their number one wide receiver and made him in some ways a running back, who is at times a wide receiver rather than a wide receiver who is at times a running back. It just tells you just how (laughs) tilted towards the run they've gone. I mean, they're crazy tilted toward the run these days. Uh, And it it does put you in a situation where I'm blown. I'm frankly blown away by the Packers game plan in that game. You know, all the special team stuff like, Oh man, so unlucky that, that they had the, the block pun and, Dude, they scored 10 points. They scored 10 points at home against the 49ers, who, like, yeah, they have good pass rush, but they're not actually an elite defense. 
Rogers supposed to win the MVP. You got to score more than 10 points. And part of that is the fact that Rogers wasn't as efficient as usual with the, the 49ers pass rush. That was predictable. But the other part is that they play crazy slow. They played super slow all season. And the 49ers are begging teams to play slow against them. They're begging teams to go run first against them to, to limit possessions. Like Ben Gretsch wrote that, that thing about uh, uh, how possessions are kind of like innings in a baseball game. And, you know, and we talked about the other, the other, uh, what was that? Like three, four weeks ago, we talked about how many of these coaches would just flip a coin before the game started. Yeah. Right. The Packers are one of those teams, which makes no sense. Like the way they play, they play so slow that it's like, maybe they want to do best two out of three on coin flips or something, but they'd be willing to, I mean, that's kind of what they're willing to do. I didn't think the Cowboys would do that. I thought the Cowboys would push the pace more than they did. I thought the Cowboys would play way smarter than they did. The Cowboys blew me away with uh, their performance in terms of their coaching there. Uh, and so I, I'd like to think McVay will push the, the 49ers off script, but I'm not convinced he will because, because of the way that they've called games over the last like four or five weeks. So it really just comes down to um, the fact that I, I don't think that – I mean, maybe the Bengals would let him get away with it, but obviously it's more likely that the the Chiefs will be playing the Super Bowl, and you, you know that the Chiefs won't let the 49ers get away with that. Yeah, the Packers are so weird in that regard – the, how slow they play. Weren't they, aren't they the team that uses the most clock before snapping of, of yeah. any other team? And then they're still one of the most like pass heaviest teams near the goal line because Rogers just checks out of every run play to like pad his yeah. passing stats. It's just such a like weird combination because they do like to throw in a lot of spots. They do, but they're not crazy passive. I think they had like a 4% password or expected or something, which was like higher than, I mean, the thing was like, fourth or fifth highest in the league. So it's like, you know, they were solidly a, a pass heavy team, but um, they didn't embrace it to the level you think you might when you have a quarterback playing extremely efficiently. Rodgers played extremely efficiently all year, but, you know, we talk about EPA per play and, and that type of stuff, obviously hugely important, but, you know, like compared to Josh Allen, like if you just talk about like total expected points added, not per play, but just total, you know, Rodgers was not delivering as much as a lot of other good quarterbacks because he didn't run as many plays. And that goes to the pace thing. You know, Rodgers lost a game to the Vikings where he threw a 75 yard touchdown as his final pass of the game. Right. Like he had, he had done this before, essentially, you know, he, he let Kirk cousins drive down the field and kick a game winner. The Vikings got a game winning field goal out of it. Um, and Kirk Cousins almost threw an interception on that drive. Uh, but, you know, they had gotten beat by an inferior team because they didn't leave themselves another possession, which is what happened to them against the 49ers. So we we had a foreshadowing for that loss. I just think, I don't know. Uh, I, it's one thing to play slow in, and be the slowest team uh, in every game situation, which the Packers were. It's another thing to have the 49ers do it to the Cowboys the week before run their exact game plan. The Cowboys don't push them off off script at all. And then you know for a fact now that that's what they're going to try to do to you. You come, let, they come into your house and and just run their ideal game script against you and you don't do anything about it. It was crazy. It was truly crazy to me. Yeah. I, I yeah. like to think that McVay would shift what he's going to do to try to, you know, counter the most obvious game plan of all time on the 49ers side. Yeah. 
yeah, that that one that game is going to be uh, interesting. The the chat pointing out to me that they were down 17 points to the Rams three weeks ago. I don't even remember the particulars of what plays helped them get back in that game. Although I believe I still- it was uh, some Jimmy G drives. Kevin Cole reminded me of that on Twitter. Oh, is this this is the great you know is Jimmy G uh, the, is Jimmy G good? Because we there was someone talking about EPA per play in, in here and, and Jimmy G rates like decently well in EPA per play. So did Jared Goff, by the way, when he was on the Rams. He rated quite well in EPA per play. So uh <laughs> one of the things that's also important is uh CPOE completion percentage over expected. And you look at I, I like to look at guys who have really good efficiency, but they're not being very accurate in CPOE. And uh you you know, you see that with Garoppolo and Stafford are actually the two guys that jump out the most right now. Uh, well, of the remaining guys, they're the only – they have like a big discrepancy in that, and uh, Mahomes and Burrow are quite accurate. So it is interesting because I think it it's not that those guys are frauds necessarily, but I think that that points to like a more volatile or perhaps like a more scheme-dependent success from the quarterback. And if that breaks down because the quarterback's not been particularly accurate, then you could see things get really wonky which does create risk for the Rams as well. And I think is one of the reasons that um, that McVay's ultimately started to get a, a little bit of cold feet with Stafford, I think, because what you see when things aren't going right for the Rams, Stafford's throwing pick sixes, things are really bad. So this is a bit, this is an interesting game because I think it's sort of like who's able to maintain confidence in their quarterback, you know, longer between the two, or does it just evolve into a run fest? Right. And like you said, with both Stafford and Jimmy G can just have, brutal kind of meltdown decision making yeah. at at any time um what did you think of kittle's usage obviously coming off the game against the cowboys where he wasn't used at all um had that incredible catch i guess their entire pass volume was down just by the nature of that game but uh at least nice to see him involved a bit more it was um it is like one of those things where i think we've played kittle over him uh, over debo in both the ffpc contests and that's one where um like I'm kind of just wishing we ate more of the chalk with Debo. Uh because it's like you know, all the points you were making about why he was gonna be higher owned than I had projected, and you were you were right about that. I was way low on his projection. Uh he's just so comfy because he's there in all game scripts. But I think more importantly, he's there in the run heavy game scripts. And Kittle, he's made some big plays, but you kind of at this point in those contests, you need like a giant massive spike week out of him. Um, and he's more alive for that, I think, than Debo in tight end premium. But I think, the, I mean, the Rams basically have to say, you're not doing to, to us what you did to the Packers and Cowboys. And in that case, in that, in that game script, I think it will be super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just <laughs> Debo is so much their their engine to their offense, whereas Kittle still feels like this luxury extension piece where like they they can't even move the ball without Debo, where they've shown a willingness to try to make it work without Kittle making plays. Should we talk about uh Evan was asking if we have any live FFPC teams? I'm actually not sure. I need to check with Leone on what we have because we had a lot of Josh Allen. So that wipes out a, a number of teams. We did have a, a couple really good Patrick Mahomes teams that I'll have to check on. But we had a Josh Allen, um, Robbie Gould team. Oh, yeah. With Devontae Adams. So this was a, this was a team that heading into uh, the divisional – or no, heading into Sunday. So not heading into Saturday of last week, but heading into the second two games 
was first in the contest, in the original contest, in the in the full contest. But we had Robbie Gould going instead of, uh, you know, instead of, am I misremembering it? I guess I am misremembering. It was we have so into, many teams, I can't even remember them. No, what it was, okay, so the... The 49ers game was Saturday night. So that's when we were in first. We were heading in, we were first heading into Saturday night. Um, but we had Gould and we were like a bunch of teams behind us had Debo. So we're fading Debo. Somehow we need Robbie Gould to outscore. Obviously, this is supposed to be a Dallas win scenario, but we, you know, had the soft fade, the soft fade advances, but we're still in first. And so it's like, all right, Gould has to outscore Debo. And he did. He outscored Debo in that game. And what are the chances of that? That the kicker outscores the engine of the other team's offense. We got it. We got what we needed. But then they lost. We had Adams instead of Aaron Jones. And obviously, I mean, unless Debo doesn't play in this game, Gould's not going to do it again. Says so, who? Goal, <laughs> yeah, well, now, now we need him to do it by like 20 points because we also didn't have the right Packer. And then that would have been okay if the Packers had won. We could have made that up later, but obviously they didn't. So it was one of the craziest sweats where you have this improbable thing of like the kicker outscoring Debo. It's never going to happen. It does happen. We still lost. Yeah. Uh, and Evan looks like in a similar scenario, he's second overall with a McPherson and 49ers uh, DST team. Uh, yeah. Which again, I mean, McPherson and gold, just massive, massive game. I mean, McPherson just ripping field goal after field goal. Yeah. Well, Garrett was talking to me. He's in first, and uh, he's got Josh Allen. So he's trying to figure out if he can pull it off without uh, without Josh Allen. I think he has Tyreek Hill, Chase, Mitchell, and uh, uh, I'm not sure. I, I assume Cup. You need one of those, what is it, those little pop passes to Tyreek Hill, like at the goal line where it doesn't count as a pass kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what you, <laughs> that's what you need. You need a lot of rushes. You need some pitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, let's see. Someone was asking, uh, Keith was asking about, uh, obviously, Gabriel Davis has the massive four-touchdown game. I've seen some screenshots of dynasty trades involving Gabe Davis, uh, but Keith specifically asking about being worried about Diggs being invisible in such a big game. I haven't seen any of the like film grinders takes on this. Were they doubling Diggs? That was Gabriel Davis outplaying him. What was your take on that? I'm not sure if they were doubling him or, um, you know, obviously a little bit disappointing to have a, a guy have an incredible blow up fantasy performance in the playoffs and have it not be Diggs. It's certainly not what we would have expected, but I'm kind of of the mind that like in general, this, these ultimately like, that's a good thing for digs. If like next year, I think at this point we're talking about next year, it's a good thing. If there's a secondary weapon on the team, particularly a downfield weapon, like Gabriel Davis, I think that's ultimately a good thing for digs. The, you know, the, the bigger concern for me is Dayball's is definitely going to be gone. So are they going to just have this massive, Massive lead in situation neutral pass rate like they did this past year. Uh, huge, huge lead in, in pass rate over expected on first and 10. Are they going to have that? Because if they don't, then you start to worry about, you know, condensed targets, guys kind of cannibalizing each other. But like in this iteration of the Bills, like if I could go back in time and install Gabriel Davis from week one, 
in 2021. My general feeling on this type of stuff is that Diggs has a better season than he did. Like I think it would have been helpful to have Gabriel Davis stretching the field and actually being good at it and actually drawing some targets and actually scoring some touchdowns and burning defenses because then it helps Diggs see less attention throughout the, the rest of the season. He's able to connect deep downfield where he was struggling to do that a bit this year. So, you know, I ultimately think it's probably a good thing for uh, for Diggs. The bigger bigger question the the offense without Dable moving forward. What? A, how about this for a comp? Um, Gabriel Davis is the Christian Kirk to Diggs's DeAndre Hopkins, like in optimal configurations. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. But I mean, it could be like, you know, it could be like a T Higgins to a Jamar Chase sort of thing. if he's really takes a leap. Yeah, or even like maybe a Tyler Boyd to, you know, a T. Higgins or a Jamar Chase. You know, like it's help, it's still helpful to have. Like, you know, it doesn't hurt T. Higgins and Jamar Chase that Tyler Boyd is good. It yeah. Helps. It don't you think the thing is, is like Gabe Davis is gonna probably even be a more expensive version of Michael Hardman two years ago, you know, when yeah. Michael Hardman was going in like the seventh round of underdog drafts when he was like really creeping up because it was like oh, this young athletic guy attached to one of the best quarterbacks in the league, like this is a no-brainer. I mean, I could see Gabe Davis being in, what, the fourth, fifth round? I mean, in some of these drafts. We should actually check it because I did see Mojo started posting some early uh, draft ADP. And I'd, I'd be careful with that in general. Like, Gabriel Davis was, was good this season, but he wasn't. I mean, I know the, <laughs> the playoffs, he was incredible, but uh, – all of the offensive concerns are like, like if we want to talk about, uh, you know, some a relevant topic of of the the crypto market right now, we're seeing this this uh, this downtrend in the crypto market. I would say uh, Davis is kind of an altcoin in this regard, where if there's some issues with the Bills' offense, Davis is going to be the big big loser. Whereas yeah. like Stefan Diggs is still Stefan Diggs. Like Stefan Diggs has the out of like being a, a target hog. You know them designing the offense around them. They played Emmanuel Sanders over Gabriel Davis all season. They're not going to suddenly, because of one playoff game, design their whole offense around him going forward. So uh, I think that more, much more of a lower floor with Gabe Davis uh, compared to Stephon Diggs, even at a reduced cost. Yeah, the other fascinating thing with, I mean, I'm just a me. If if his price does settle in that like fifth, sixth round range it's going to be a similar dynamic in like underdog drafts with say like Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson, where they they're going like within like three to four picks of each other to where it's going to be a super trendy, like my turn, my Josh Allen mm-hmm. Gabe Davis, five, six turn. Like mm-hmm. I, I could see that coming from a mile. Oh it's so Everyone's true. Doing it. <laughs> 100%. Um, did pull up here the uh, Fantasy Mojo ADP because there are some best ball drafts already off and running at FFPC. I know Underdog has opened up some drafts as well. So always interesting to get some early data here. Um, anything jumping out to you? We see Jamar Chase in uh, in the first round. Uh, I, I still, I could never touch Ezekiel Elliott um, with a 10-foot pole, much less you're at pick 39. Uh, anything else stand out to you? These are these are redrafts? Yeah, from just the past. It looks like they started uh, a couple days ago. I would be inclined to get Najee Harris now 
um, because doesn't he feel like someone who's going to go up into the the 105 range and we're just going to rail against it all all August? Yeah, get some yeah. Najee now before they get before they get quarterback figured out because I, I probably won't be. I mean, I guess it could be Mason Rudolph, uh, so I wouldn't like take him and you know I wouldn't load up, but I think this is a good spot to get exposure. This feels like a decent price for a second year back who just was a, a workhorse for his entire rookie year. I agree with that take. I, I could just see it in my mind's eye right now. Najee Harris is going to be like a one three one four pick yeah, all summer. Totally. Yeah, because you can. I mean, no one's going to be able to argue. Like once the projections come in, right? Once you once you. Uh, I think my video froze, but. Once the projection industry gets their hands on Najee Harris, like how do you not like we just saw his snap share, we just saw you know his his backfield touch share, it, it, you know pretty solid target share throughout the course of the year. You could probably project an increase potentially in target share in a second year. So I'm not gonna like when he's the 103. I'm gonna hate it, but I feel like uh, one of the benefits of drafting early is you can get some Harris exposure. This is all I'm also just dying inside knowing it's like, uh, you know, every it was like two years ago, take George Kittle at 107. This year, take him at 207. We're just going to dollar cost average down and take George Kittle at like 3 3 in every draft this year. You're damn right. We are. He's <laughs> <laughs> so good. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out because I think I'm a little bit more open to the projections on George Kittle. Like, my whole thing with Kittle is just like, I think he's the best tight end in the league. I still do. But, you know, having seen him go through a season where, like, that was undeniable. I mean, maybe not undeniably true, but I think true. And uh, it still didn't really help you that much because the the offense, even even with them not moving to Trey Lance, the offense could be so run heavy and move away from him so completely. What do you think about Javante Williams here? Because it was after that, was it the big Monday night football game when everyone was debating on Twitter and there was the he should be the 102 next year conversation he goes pick 16 here um is that where he should go or do you think there's a a little meat on the bone still i would probably sprinkle him in now i think that there might be kind of a backlash to javante williams depending on i think you have to get exposure now because what if melvin gordon isn't back Mm -hmm. because if melvin gordon's not back he's gonna go i mean what I mean, the one maybe the one two term, maybe you won't get like up into the 108 109 range, but it certainly would seem there in some drafts. I think you're going to see a lot of excitement around him. He was so good. Um, he's not to the Jonathan Taylor level of prospect, but I think it's like a similar type of you know year two bet. It's a worse year two bet, but it's the type of bet people will make. So getting him in the mid second is decent if if Melvin Gordon's gone. If Melvin Gordon's back or they draft someone or they bring someone else in then the projection stuff's going to push him down a little bit. And I think maybe he'll end up kind of, I mean, I was going to say the two, three turn, but that's where CEH was going. He's going to go ahead of where CEH went. This feels fine to me. This feels fine. Yeah, it it feels good. I would definitely want to sprinkle some of him here because he, he does seem like a, a riser. Any, once once the Gordon news gets defined or he clears out, that's that's going to jump. Um, By the way, I'm like completely thinking through this as we go. So I'd, no, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's fun to uh, to talk through some of this stuff. Uh, last week we were debating, you know, CD Lamb versus Jalen Waddle. Pretty big gap uh, here. You know, Waddle going at essentially what is that pick four one? 
um, in Lamb here at the end of the the second round. Do you think that gap should be that big? Hmm. That's a good question. I I still think I want Lamb at that kind of cost difference. Yeah, I think Waddles Waddles very good, but look if Dayball goes to Miami, then sure, uh, maybe Waddle should go a bit higher. Yeah, the um, I'm trying to see who else jumps out. I mean. You do see well, T. Look at where T's going. I mean, after after what he just showed. Yeah, but like if you think about the jump, I mean, T. Higgins was legit going like mid fourth uh, on underdog when things were getting frothy. Like that's not even that big of a jump. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, you're saying yeah, he should be another round higher. I mean, this guy looks like he should be a second round pick. Like I'd I'd rather have T. Higgins than C. Lamb. Wow. Okay. I mean, I don't even think that's controversial. Like he's, he's in an offense that I think has like all of the stuff that we were talking about last year with, uh, you know, the Cowboys, like heading into this season with the Cowboys, like, oh man, they could, they could like set records. They could, they could like take it to another level with their passing, their passing rates. Cause they were, they had such high passing rates in 2020 with Dak that didn't really materialize, but you're seeing that kind of ceiling at least. I don't think that the Bengals will ever until they get their offensive line figured out. I don't think they'll ever just like push the pace for an entire season. They don't really have to do that. They're not going to want to do that because you know, they could risk Burrow getting hurt. He takes, he takes a decent amount of sacks. They're not going to like doing that, but on a weekly basis, best ball. I mean, you know, that T Higgins has the ceiling, you know, this offense has the ceiling when they get going and they're passing and they're in shootouts. Like they will score so many points when the, I mean, on all of those points are hitting your lineup that week. Like, I think that, uh, yeah, even though he's not going to be the number one guy and you, and CD lamb has a chance to be like a number one alpha guy. I, st- I still think I'd rather T Higgins. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is interesting thinking like I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, lamb was going, you know, late second and Amari was going mid third. Um, and then trying to think of that a little bit as a comp, for this team. And then you have chase going now one Oh eight that I do think, I think I agree with your thesis that the, the gap between chase and Higgins shouldn't be that big. Like it should be a no. little closer together. Like the Amari CD stuff. Yeah. And I think I'm fine with the chase one Oh eight. I'd take Justin Jefferson ahead of him. Yeah. I'd take Cooper cup ahead of him, but I think there's a case for him ahead of Tyreek. There's a case for him ahead of Adams because we don't know the, the quarterback situation. There's a lot of risk there. Yeah, I think I think Jefferson or I think Chase is going roughly in the right spot. Uh, I think T's too low. Yeah, I mean some of these these injury guys who weren't around are interesting. Like, I mean, getting to see Cam Akers back and and looking pretty healthy, uh, you're probably still getting a little bit of a discount on him. I mean, if he played the whole year and was just a, you know, say he had like a Joe Mixon level season, he's probably like ADP of nine or 10. Yeah. I like, I like Cam Akers there. I think that's, uh, that's one that's probably going to dry up too. The, I guess like the, the wide receiver stuff, like Metcalf looks, um, that looks about well, right to me. I tell you, I tell you one running back that I like, uh, might surprise you. Gibson. Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb. Okay, let me hear Nick, Nick Chubb, Chubb at 23. Chubb. I mean, 
this is a guy that we've had to take at like the, I mean, not always the one-two turn, but kind of the early, like like that next little pocket, the early second, early mid-second. And it's like so pricey. But you're getting here, like if he's going to go kind of, you know, like last year we had that that Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Keenan Allen, right? That tier, and then it went back, and there was like kind of that spot where it's like, well, if, C- if C.H. falls back here, you know, in that early third range after those wide receivers are gone, then sure, that seems great. Like I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that kind of running back at that point. And Chubb feels like that kind of running back to me, where like he started to show a little bit more as a receiver, where they're actually throwing to him on some screens. He did actually get used as a receiver a couple years ago when uh, before Hunt arrived or before Hunt was healthy. He, he had like eight games without Hunt a couple years ago and, and was used somewhat as a receiver. Not like as a receiving back, but he gets a little closer to Dalvin Cook where he gets mixed in. And I think he's good when he when he gets used that way. Like you see him on screens, he gets moving quickly. And one of the best pure rushers in the entire league. So I don't know. I'm never really drafting Chubb, but at this price, I kind of like it. And you can tell based on, um, it says four drafts here, and you can see he went as early as 2-3, which is about more where we would expect uh, the boomers to draft him. But then you also see he went as late as 3-5. And yes. maybe he, maybe he is kind of the polarizing guy where you're going to have guys who love Nick Chubb. They're going to pull the trigger on him in the mid-second. Maybe you get a, a pissing yellow draft, a uh, little ship-chasing listener league. You scoop him up in the uh, the late third. Yeah. Oh man, that, that's pretty nice. <laughs> the ship chasing league. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be going late there. Uh, some people talking about Cooper Cup as the number one overall. Uh, I have nothing to back this by, but like my gut feel, and I think I would rather have Tyreek, Jamar Chase, and Jefferson over Cup. Am I crazy? I'd rather have Cup. You would. So he's yeah. your number one. Yeah, Cup's my number one. I mean, he had a well, like we'll see how he finishes, but um, and I, this actually might be outdated from last week, but he was like three point one three yards per out run entering, entering last week, if I think is the right stat, which is absurd. Like it's just you're not supposed to do that. And he's thirty two percent target share this year, coming off one of these crazy, crazy seasons where the entire offense is built around him. I mean, yeah, he's going to regress some from that, but I don't know. It just kind of feels like overthinking to me to to pick one of these other wide receivers over the guy that it's like this is such a rare type of thing. And like, I guess, you know, we 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 had Michael Thomas coming off of one of these seasons and it completely crumbled. I'm not saying it's like safe necessarily, but his I, it's kind of the Antonio Brown situation where it's like he, he if everything goes as expected, he's going to be the number one wide receiver pretty easily. Yeah, I guess where I get a little concerned about Cup, and it even doesn't have anything to do with like his age or anything, it's just we saw the identity of their offense, Sands, Cam Akers, be through Cooper Cup, and I felt like the offense got very comfortable running that version of the offense through him. And I do just wonder if they have a healthy Cam Akers, um, say they add another playmaker or whatever, like, if they'll feel the need to use him as like the total engine. And you, and that's where you are baking in some regression, which is, is bound to happen. But I'm just wondering how much of kind of their offensive philosophy might change in a way that one-on-one would be very rich for him. Yeah, I think that's a risk, but if that's a risk, then like, 
Is he like AJ Brown with more consistency and less big plays? You know what I mean? Like he's he's still like I don't think he has much of a risk of not being just a clear alpha wide receiver there. I mean, yeah, that would after what he showed with Robert Woods coming back off injury, like it's he, no one's going to challenge him. Beckham's not going to challenge him. Um, I mean, the only guy that really challenge him for that is Devontae Adams. You know, like I don't think Chase is going to get there because of T. And then you, you know, in order for T to or for Chase to to top Cup if everything's going pretty well, uh, he probably needs the Bengals to start playing like the Bills, which my guess is that they won't do. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I you're probably going to draft Cup and be like, oh, oh darn, he was only like he, I, you know, he was worth like the two hundred three instead of right the one hundred four. But so many of these guys are going to be end up worth like. A seventh round pick like you know what i mean yeah no i i do agree with that that his floor is still going to be uh very nice almost kind of like the christian mccaffrey thing right where even in a down year he's going to catch so many balls that like he's not yeah. gonna sink your team yeah and of course there's like the the catastrophic down year which he's not immune to um he could he could have a high ankle sprain and you know they could go away and everything could just he never is quite right etc so it's not like he's like super locked in, but he, he'd be my number one wide receiver right now. So what do you do in a draft? Let's say you have like the one four, uh, you get Cooper cup, you come back and you get uh CD lamb. And then you're staring there at Antonio Gibson and you're debating between taking Antonio Gibson or continuing to piss yellow with Metcalf or Keenan Allen. What are we doing with Gibson? Well, first of all, I think I would take Stefan Diggs, uh, but <laughs> not that I'm out he, on, on he, land, he, but come on. Yeah. Give me Diggs there. Well, um, I thought we all said Diggs is dead now. So, you know, I just kind of removed him from the board. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I think I'm pissing yellow. I think I'm going for a DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, T Higgins. I mean, I just talked about how I think T Higgins is, is a second round pick. Um. So you just I'll probably end up just hammering T. Higgins a lot in the third round. Gibson, I think, is in play, but he reminds me more of like you know, the bet has now become assuming that JD McKissick is back, which I think he's a free agent, so maybe he's not. But we need them to get a quarterback. I mean, the quarterback situation is really bad. Uh so he he feels like he should be down more. Like, wouldn't you rather have David Montgomery than Antonio Gibson? Yeah, it yeah. hurts to say it, but yeah, yeah, you would. So, why am I gonna why am I gonna pay a premium for Antonio Gibson? Yeah, like, we've already done the paying a premium for Antonio Gibson thing, and it didn't turn out very it well. It didn't turn out great, <laughs> but you know, all we've got a, a lot of new information on uh, Antonio Gibson. Yeah, right, and, and all of it says don't pay a massive premium for him. So, uh, like everything we're hoping for Antonio Gibson to become. Dave Montgomery kind of already is. And like the offense might actually be better in Chicago, depending on what happens with Washington's quarterback situation. All right. Two names that I noticed that I definitely think should be in these top 40. Um, what, what does Mike Evans have to do? How many more thousand yard seasons does he need to do, you know, to be a top 40 yeah. pick and also DJ Moore? Like, I mean, are, are we really going to punish DJ Moore for the quarterback stuff? this year i don't know i'm, I'm willing to go I back i think to we're it. gonna i mean 
at this point, yeah, I would take him in the top 40. I would have him. I mean, I, I'd take him ahead of Zeke for sure. Uh, but you do worry about, you know, they got like what Ben McAdoo now as their coordinator. Uh, this doesn't feel like it's going to be a, an explosive offense in any. We could sim this this next season a thousand times. It's not an explosive offense. So it's a little tough, but I don't know. Who's a comp? Is he like, is he like Deontay Johnson? Like I, oh. I know that's not quite right because he doesn't. He's got the higher eight up, but who is he like compared to a guy last year? Like clear, the clear number one wide receiver, but on a team that the clear number one wide receiver and good on a team that we're just not excited about at all. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. He's think. not. He's not Marquise Brown. He's not DJ Shark. Um, because we're more Brand, Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks. Yeah, that's fair. Although Cooks was older. And uh, has like concussion issues that we were worried about. And Davis so, Mills is probably better than any quarterback that, uh, right? <laughs> that yeah, DJ Moore better quarterback. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but that's a, that's probably the best one that we've come up with. I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be shocking for people to know that um, I don't like you know these older veteran running backs in situations that could you know change on a dime. I mean, this is so fucking frothy for Fournette right here. I mean, oh yeah, don't take Fournette here. I mean, they, I literally just wrote up all of Brady basically hinting that he's probably going to retire. <laughs> like this, Bron- Bronx says he's he's retired. Yeah. He would retire right now, which means, which is code for I think Tom Brady is going to retire. Right, Gronk <laughs> only will play. Brady's playing. Yeah. So, yeah. That- T.J. Hawkinson it- also, by the way, no thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've done the TJ Hawkinson thing a couple of years. What about Waller? That's a tougher one. I'm more in Waller. Yeah. I'm more in Waller. Waller has dealt with uh dealt with injuries, inconsistency, but some of that inconsistency, like he was really, really inconsistent in 2020 as well. Yeah. Uh he got hot at the end of the year. He had a huge game against the Jets. That's just kind of the nature of the position. Yeah. Mark Andrews uh, definitely making a, a pretty big leap uh, here as well. You know, you, that's a that's a pricey pick to have to spend on Mark Andrews. I don't think I'm going to be into that. Give me yeah. uh, give me Kittle and Pitts um, at their cost and Waller. Yeah, I mean, we were like in on Kittle last year in a big way, partly because you know he was a cheaper version of Waller. Uh, but I think that. Andrews is now kind of in that situation. Like, I think these tight ends that are being, these are the top tight ends, you know, not, not news to anybody, but these top five guys to me, that should be a bigger gap between Hawkins. And I don't, I want no parts of predicting <laughs> which is the next tight end to join this elite group. Cause we're really bad at that. I mean, I'm, I'm frankly shocked. We were as good as, a, as, as we were with Kyle Pitts. I mean, we're almost never good at predicting guys accurately who are going to jump into that. You know, the first season we thought he would do it, he did. Kyle Pitts was awesome as a rookie. Um, I think his ADP here makes a ton of sense. But I don't want any parts of, of predicting that TJ Hawkinson is going to make this big leap because he's had chances to do it and he hasn't done it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ethan saying Dallas Goddard. Um, that's definitely going to be a guy who's probably going to be going in the in the fourth and fifth round of, of most drafts, I would assume. I would take him over Hawkinson. Yeah. 
Um, Expendables asking about Calvin Ridley. Uh, another really, I, I haven't read a blurb. I mean, you, you work at the blurb factory. I mean, has there been any updates on where Calvin Ridley's at? No, I've seen some stuff come through of like, you know, no, no status on, you know, no update, no update <clears throat> with the comments from Smith on it. Um, and we had, we had a blurb, you know, that basically they put them on um, whichever list they, they had to put them on. And that was kind of like the last time we were updating it until uh, there's actual news, but there have been blurbs that are basically like nothing has changed. That's, I mean, not blurbs, but, um, but tweets from the beat reporters that nothing has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how much of, do you worry about Pitts's, you know, situation? Um, you know, I, I feel like he could be in kind of a TJ Hawkinson esque situation, uh, potentially. I don't know that it'll be that bad. I mean, Matt Ryan's better than Jared Goff. Uh, yeah. I think he's, and he's shown a connection with Ryan. He had a really good yards per hour run this year. I mean, really good for a rookie. I think he was at almost two yards per hour run, which is pretty off the charts for a rookie tight end. I mean, that's that's wild stuff. And he wasn't like, you know, used sparingly. He was the engine of the offense down the stretch. Um, so the offense isn't ideal, but in some ways, just being a tight end who's used as his team's number one weapon, is, I mean, that alone is so massive. Uh, yeah. And, and, and rare. Uh, and, and he's a wide receiver. I mean, Kyle Pitts is a wide receiver, like period. He's a wide receiver. Like he, he has tight end eligibility. He, he maybe shouldn't, but it's like the bet here is, um, is like DK Metcalf or, or Terry McLaurin entering his second season. Like that's, that it's somewhere between the bet there. You're basically yeah. betting on like an alpha wide receiver to make it leap. This is another name that I don't necessarily think it's bad that he's not on here, but I'm kind of shocked that Amon Ra's finish didn't get steamed into the top 40. Me too, a little bit, although I guess it's that there's more. It's like I'd love to see the other the other wide receivers after this because um I don't think I'd take him. I, I don't think he's anywhere near any of these wide receivers. Like you're not taking him over DeAndre Hopkins. No, to me, Amon Ra feels like and I'm not saying I just mean from like ADP and sentiment, he feels like he could be last year's T Higgins, right? The rookie who didn't come in like as hyped, but then really delivered and showed promise. And then once we start talking about the second year breakout stuff, lack of targets on the lions, the problem is, is his quarterback's Jared Goff and not Joe Burrow. So the excitement isn't going to quite be there. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I mean, I think he's closer to Hunter Renfro than T Higgins. Yeah, it's just a big. It's a target play. I mean, he's he's good. I'm not trying, but I, Hunter Renfro is good. So I I don't mean that as like a put down, but I don't think he's like what what's your upside? I think your upside is, it, you know, it could be decently high in PPR leagues. You could have him be, um, like kind of a target hog type of guy. What did Renfro finish as at PPR scoring? Was he top twenty uh, four? He, 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 he must have been. been. Yeah, because yeah. down the stretch he was crushing. So yeah, I don't I don't mean to say, but. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's got kind of like whatever. I mean, maybe like Jarvis Landry was like a yeah. like wide receiver three or wide receiver four one season. So he could. Have, yeah, it's possible. Yep. Um, crazy asking uh, a Rob man uh, uh, that he's such a he's a he's a tough one. 
he burned a lot of people this year. <laughs> yeah. When's the last, I don't think we had a guy like that this that past just, year. That just completely uh, fell off the map. But he's got to be... I mean, there's a group actually of like Robbie Anderson, um, Alan Robinson, and Michael Thomas, who are all going to be kind of like, what do we do with these guys? And yeah. and Thomas will go above the other two, but but I think uh, a Robin and Robbie Anderson are going to be double digit picks for sure. And what where do you think they land? Like fourteenth round? Yeah. I mean, I guess we at least is Robbie Anderson. Is he still under contract with the Panthers? Is yeah, because he signed an extension. He signed yeah. an extension. Oh, but you know what? Allen Robinson's a free agent because he was on the franchise tag. So that's going to go a long way into determining. Yeah. Okay. So Robbie will land there, but but where it is? So then I'm too. I'm way too low on Robinson. Then what do you think? Like probably probably tenth or eleventh. Yeah, you mean like pre free agency? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. People are always going to have a fondness for him. And I think people will be more willing to chalk it up to bears dysfunction than him losing a step, even though it's, it's probably a little bit of both. I think it's a lot of bit of him losing a step. Yeah. Um, this is another oh, Renfro one. Number 10 PPR wide receiver. Oh, there you so go. So not, a, not a put down to him Ross St. Brown, but it's still, it's still sort of a player archetype. It's not quite as high upside. Uh, Travis Etienne. I mean, give me him over, you know, any of these kind of later running backs, I think. Well, if Dayball's ending up in, oh no, sorry, not Dayball. If Leftwich is ending up in, in Jacksonville. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty exciting for a functional offense. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd take him. I mean, what, what about him versus Dobbins? Where are you at on that? They feel, they feel similar, but it, it seems like, the I just have never seen any indication from the Ravens to go to a one back system or even a two back system um, to where I think there's more upside for a bigger role for for ETN. Um, and just because his his work is going to be more tilted toward the pass game, too, than Dobbins. I mean, Dobbins is going to be so reliant still on explosive run plays for him to rack up points. I just think he's a, he's more a guy I'd want to be taking in like in the fifth, sixth round. Whereas like ETN, I feel like with that floor, he gives you, you could probably justify it a little earlier. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, this is a fun one too. Uh, just because of how hot he finished, uh, single Terry. I mean, do you think the narrative this off season will be, he graduated to, bell cow back or do you think people will kind of talk themselves into that just being like for a specific stretch of the season i think he'll ultimately be like a classic dead zone running back um and the reason that i think that is that he's going to be tough to project right because what we saw down the stretch is he's just getting like literally every single snap but we didn't really see that in the regular season um, we saw it, we saw close to that, but in the playoffs, he's like playing every single snap, literally, but you're not going to project that, you know, and, and no one, no one would project that over the course of a full season. So once you project him to have like a more normal snap rate, I don't do projections. So I don't, 
you know, I don't know exactly what people have him in, but he'll have, you know, be off the kind of the, the total control of the backfield from what he showed down the stretch. Um, so at that point, then you look at the value of the backfield, which isn't actually all that valuable. There's not many, it's not like Tampa Bay's backfield where like you can project Leonard Fournette to not even dominate touches. You project him like 65% of snaps and Leonard Fournette's going to have an awesome projection in, you know, this iteration of Tampa Bay's, Tampa Bay's backfield at 40 expected points in the wild card round when he missed uh, between Giovanni Bernard and, and uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, it's massive, massive value. One back consolidates it. You know, you're going to crush projections. That's not really the case with the Bills. He's only delivered really, really strong, you know, but not even like really, really strong, just like very, like clearly a running back one because he has every single touch. So I think once you factor in a little bit of, you know, some natural hedging that that might not be the case for all of 2022, you know, potential injury risk, just kind of not projecting any running back to have like literally every snap. It's going to yeah. be, I think it's going to be hard to project him to, to be like worth more than like a, like a late third, early fourth type of type of pick. What do you think? Yeah, no, that, that sounds, that sounds good to me. Although I, I can just see the thinning out of running back again and, and people wanting to, to kind of buy into Singletary being a bell cow on a good offense. I mean, people do just generally love drafting players on good offenses. And if we've seen enough to kind of convince ourselves that Singletary could be that, I think he'll probably get drafted with a premium this is a fun one from Liam. Assuming Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, what's the price of those players? I mean, I'll shoot from the hip. I'll say uh, Javante Williams, top five running back. I'll say Jerry Judy goes like back end of round two, like where Lamb and Diggs are right here. I'll say Cortland Sutton, like a solid mid fourth round pick. And Noah Fant in tight end premium is like a fifth round pick. Yeah. I think that's... I wonder if Judy gets hyped that much. I saw, um, I forget who, someone was having a list of the, you know, the the dynasty wide receivers and had Judy as a miss. Um, and I do think that the kind of sentiment has turned against him a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's a miss. I, I think it would be totally defensible to have him in that range if Rodgers was there. But I do wonder if he'd get pushed up quite that high. Uh, I, I think, agree with everything else. Yeah, I could just see the, I mean, he did cool off a little bit, but people kind of, there'd be the debate, right? Of like, who's going to be his Devonte Adams. And I think it'd be an easier sell for people that like Jerry Judy is going to be his Devonte Adams. I agree. But keep in mind, I mean, that what would be so interesting about that move is that Devonte Adams took like three seasons to be his Devonte Adams. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like Devonte yeah. Adams took a long time to develop that connection with Devonte Adams. It was earned. I don't know that Judy would just like immediately. Like I'd, I'd probably want to keep it. I'd, I'd be like, all right, you guys decide where these guys are priced. And then uh, I'll probably take the cheaper of the two. Um, and I'd definitely be, man, I would take a lot of KJ Hamler flyers. I'll tell you that. Oh, KJ Hamler. Fly- he would, he would be like what we've always wanted MVS to be. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, Dan getting frothy, just thinking about uh, Noah Fant with a, with a really good quarterback. Mm. I mean, and Alberto, yeah. I'd sprinkle some Alberto in these uh, Titan Premium best balls. Yeah, kidding? yeah, Alberto can play. There'd uh, there'd be lots of fun stuff there. I mean, yeah, Deguara, Deguara's getting in the end zones occasionally. Like <laughs> we get an Alberto in there. 
Seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even just thinking of like dealing with Lazard and Randall Cobb, I mean, Denver yeah. basically has upgrades for every single one of those uh, spots. Well, you know, what's going to happen if he goes to Denver, Devontae Adams is coming too, right? Uh, he's going to, he's going to refuse wow. to, I mean, he's a free agent now they could franchise tag him, but they're trying to rebuild, you know, well, that's what, Maybe. that's what GA is saying here. Won't Rogers Adams be a package package deal? Yeah, they got to do some kind of sign and trade with Adams or something. I don't know if the NFL doesn't really do this, but something they they got to figure out something out because Adams he wants to play with with Rodgers. That is a it's a really interesting thing too because sometimes don't don't those guys have egos with it? Like we saw a little bit with the Brady Belichick stuff where it was like you know their entire career they're like is you know Brady uh you know a product of Belichick is Belichick just a product of Brady and then they want to go do it on their own like it's funny here Devontae Adams if that's the case he's like fuck it dude I, I don't even want to see what it's like without Aaron Rodgers I just want this guy to be my quarterback forever I don't think he he doesn't seem to have that ego and Derek Carr's yeah. been apparently recruiting him for years and Devontae Adams hasn't doesn't seem all that receptive to those recruitment efforts but I mean Devontae Adams like part of what his skill is is knowing what Rogers is thinking at that moment, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't not to take that away from Adams. Like that's it's what they've developed is incredible. I, I, I can't really, I mean, even like the, the Brady and uh, the Brady Welker, the Brady Edelman, any of Peyton's guys, like this is like a, like Peyton Reggie Wayne, I don't think would compare with, with uh, Rogers Adams. Like the connection they have is just, I, I think it's the best I've ever seen. I was talking about that with my buddies uh, that it's like, you don't want to take anything away from either of them, but it's the most like perfect stylistic match possible. It's like thinking, I, I wish I had a better like gaming analogy for it, but we're just like these two pieces come together and then get the height of their superpowers. It just unlocks yeah. this next level. And it's like, they're both great on their own. Right. But that pairing, I, I just couldn't think of another pairing where they both benefit from each other as much as those guys do yeah and it's like the back shoulder connections like the timing routes like even simple stuff where it's like that they'll make a play look like totally normal but adams turns the balls like kind of out in front like it's like not quite back shoulder he's got to turn and uh murphy's getting excited about this discussion <laughs> uh but it's like not even the adams just like turns and catches it that he turns and grabs it as you know, just in stride, having not seen it, but for a split second. Well, even uh, I will say to to give more to Adams credit um, in that game against the Niners. I mean, he was scooping a couple of those throws up off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird with your green screen. It looked like he was in a little diorama box like for a second. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, everyone wants to, uh, to now, uh, imagine, uh, Rogers and, in, in all these different scenarios, woman's is already willing to bump Trevor Lawrence out for Aaron Rodgers. I don't blame you. I mean, Pat, where are we taking Visca, uh, if Aaron Rodgers is on the, on the Jacks? I mean, the mind meld connection between Visca and, and Adams, I think is going to be, you know, <laughs> it's maybe in 2024, it'll be there. Uh, oh. we'll, we'll draft him. Uh, I mean, I, I got to tell you right now, Pete. I, I'm still gonna be, uh, I'm still gonna be drafting some Visca. I'm not sure if you're gonna be with me. We took Nicole Hartman this year. We're drafting Visca. We want our discount. Uh, we definitely want our discount. But I mean, you know, what are we gonna have to pay? The uh, 12th, 13th round? 
yeah i'm 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 fine at, at those prices for sure uh i mean that's where we were drafting gabe davis uh this year and uh you know we were right it just we just didn't get the the four <laughs> it was our idea though that we were spitballing right last week where you draft and you get the through the yeah. entire class imagine your gabe davis shares in that man <laughs> we got to talk to uh to underdog here get a right. get a playoff get a playoff tournament but also a regular season tournament i mean that, that seems like the ideal way to play best ball yeah i saw some uh i think it was eagles and justin and buying four uh they were kind of spitballing ideas for other underdog tournaments on Twitter the other day with also kind of like the goal of an underdog live final uh, and how that mm. would potentially work. But even like having, I mean, they ended up, there ended up being, I think like 190 teams in this one this year. I mean, I know like logistically and how much that costs and how much it would hurt, you know, your bottom line or what the rake would need to be. But like 190 finalists at a live final underdog final would just be so incredibly fun. What if you had like, you know, you had maybe it would be again, maybe I mean, it was a playoff twist, but you'd you'd have this the typical payout for best ball mania. But then you know, some threshold of finishers, like maybe the top 50 finishers in the final make the live final. And then you have to set a lineup based on your team. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah. I, or wonder, or yeah, or maybe it was something. Yeah. Like that, where you still had the main prize pool, but then there was that second prize pool for yeah. like the, the live final where you the set the final that you the set the lineup. Final. Yeah. Yeah. You you make like okay, you only finished fiftieth in Best Ball Mania, but or in the final of Best Ball Mania, then but that gets you into the live final. And then you have to set your lineup. And then there's all the game theory around ownership percentages on that. Right. Where it's like uh Eric and I's team, we had Jamar Chase at six percent. Like obviously we're lock buttoning him, but then right. you have Cooper Cup, who's at whatever mm-hmm. it was, like 35%. Are you fading Cooper Cup in your lineup? Because <laughs> you have, but not everyone has him. I mean, you're not you everyone gonna, has him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some interesting, but you would know that. because it'd be like the people who made the live final also did really well in that specific week. So a lot of the guys, like it wouldn't just be you know those players helped people get there, but they it'd be the players who like won people the the million would probably yeah. be overrepresented. Yes, I have a I have a feeling we're gonna have a, a summer of crackpot ideas, all kinds of contests. Ian, I will I will do everything I can as an underdog influencer to take your ideas up the ladder and see what we can uh, we can get done this summer. Um, Max says, "Will there be a ship chasing meetup Super Bowl weekend?" Um, I don't think so, Super Bowl weekend. But uh, Pat and I. And uh, Gretch are definitely planning on another ship chasing meetup uh, in the summer. Yeah. Uh, you know, most likely around FFPC drafts. I mean, we've floated other ideas too with KFFSC, but whatever it is, we will, we'll, we're going to have a, we had a ton of fun last year and uh, we will want to make it even bigger and better. And hopefully even more people can come this year with every time it seems like we're winding down with COVID, it, you know, rears up again. But I know. That would be the hope. Yeah. I will say um, our buddy Farrell at KFFSC is doing – they're doing some Super Bowl uh, drafts over there. Uh, they're doing like a whole weekend of, of Super Bowl best ball drafts. So if you're a real, real best ball sicko, you can 
jump in with those guys. Yeah, um, I know FFPC has those going. Feral, the um, I know Underdog now has slow drafts up for uh, early 2022 best ball. I think uh, Bime Four and Co. jumped in one of those today. Um, maybe we could get going. Uh, we can get private slow drafts going now. So, um, or this one's right. actually a fast draft. Um, so maybe next week we could we could fire off our first uh, you know oh. early fast draft. I like it. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to power this down. Uh, so Pat could take care of his dog. Uh, yeah, can you hear the final... scratching? He's, he's like <laughs> yeah. trying to get under my desk right now. I don't know why. Uh, it, those are where the ethernet cables he likes to chew are. Yeah, there was yeah, literally my dog is like, like, destroying my you're desk like right shaking. Now. It's like an earthquake. Well, let me tell you before we get out of here. Well, Murphy's on. We're on the subject of Murphy. Uh, I don't eat. I used to eat a decent amount of beef jerky. I've always liked beef jerky, but I don't, you know, it's not, it's not probably not that great for you. So I don't tend to eat a lot of it, but I got some the other day and I realized it's the first time I've ever had it since we've had Murphy, which is, he's a year old now. Um, he was so upset with me. So upset with me because obviously it smells like dog food to him. You know, it's this dry yeah. meat. So he's going over to me like, how dare you buy food for me and then eat it in front of me. Like he was real upset. So uh, wow. he didn't get, I didn't give him any because he was being really annoying. And uh, then I had the beef jerky bag in the trash under my desk. And anytime <laughs> I'd go somewhere, he would, uh, he'd sneak, he's doing exactly what he's doing now. And, and he thinks get there's the beef, beef jerky. jerky. Bag. He, he, he beef still, jerky. I think he still smells the remnants of the beef jerky bag. That's wow. why he smells. You've created a monster. <laughs> um. All right, Murphy. I mean, is it is it bad is it bad for dogs to eat a little bit of beef jerky? Or you probably you not. Know? No, I should. I he wasn't like like I'd be eating it and he'd get like right up in my face and be smelling it. It does yeah. look just doing a quick Google search. It does look like there are specific uh, you know beef jerky esque dog uh, treats. So maybe you can oh. maybe you can hook him up. You know, it's Christmas, his birthday. What do we got coming up for him? <laughs> Uh, his birthday just passed, but we need to do some some recall training because he's been a little bit uh, a little bit of a wild card at the park recently. So, <laughs> wow, Murphy yeah, sounds oh, like yeah. he's on a bender right now. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. Um. All right, guys. Thank you for hanging out. As always, if you guys want to join us in the Discord, we are over there. Links down below. Excited to draft. Excited uh, to get rolling already on 2022. For Pat, I'm Pete. Gretz should be back next week. We'll talk to you then.